Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Carl May, CEO, Join, discusses cybersecurity protecting your portfolio. Thank you, everyone, for joining us at the Innovation Learning Theater for Cybersecurity Protecting Your Portfolio, presented by Carl May, who is the co-founder and CEO of Join Digital. Thank you, Rachel. So good afternoon, uh, everybody. My name, is, my name is Carl May. I'll try to modulate the signal here. There we go. It's a little, got a little bit of too much gain. Uh, thank you again for coming. Uh, again, as Rachel said, my name is Carl May. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of JOIN. Uh, our mission has actually been to uh, deliver IT as a service into enterprises, uh, which is why we're here. Uh, but a core element, a core part of our value proposition is all about cybersecurity. And for those of you, a couple of you were here for my colleague Ann Hardy's uh, talk just a bit ago. I'm going to talk more about the higher level, actually protecting the workplace. Uh, my background, by the way, from cybersecurity, my, well, my overall background is I uh, uh, was an early uh, developer of routers for the internet uh, back, in the, um, back, in the, back before the World Wide Web in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, and also, I've done quite a bit of work in encryption. Uh, now I'm, as, as I determined that I was a failed engineer, I just focus on management today. So I'm going to walk you through some of the subjects of how to protect your workplace, what are the considerations, and I think we have primarily an enterprise audience here, meaning a yeah, the enterprise audience here, but I'll cover the issues that we think are, are critical. So I'm going to go over, um, the, the subject was really about securing your portfolio, but I'm going to talk about the individual workplace so there, I'll talk a little bit about the risk types, uh, regulatory compliance, which is something that is much newer, uh, and many people think about it in terms of something that a building owner has to comply with, but as it turns out, this is also, uh, we as an, as an employer, uh, we have to be very cognizant of uh, the fact that we are now subject in certain states, and of course, in some cases, it, it uh travels across boundaries where we're subject to regulatory uh, oversight uh, in a number of states. Uh, the rise of IoT devices and smart buildings. Uh, you've got more and more uh, buildings that are not only brand new buildings, but also older buildings that are being retrofitted with smart devices. Usually these are all lumped together in the Internet of Things, but these now create, with thousands of them going into buildings, these create a brand new source of, uh, of cyber risk. And then I'll have a juicy slide for you, uh, talk a little bit about protecting users and your intellectual property, which is something that I actually suspect most people really care about here. Uh, one of the customers, I believe, I hope the name is masked uh, on the slide when I come up to it. I, I told them it was, but, you know, may have forgotten. But, it, but there are, you know, uh, essentially... Uh, there's a lot of data leakage out there, and I'll talk about that, and certainly in some of the workplaces. And then we'll talk a little bit about new security models, and um, we'll finish up. So there's a spectrum, spectrum of risks right now, uh, whether it has to do with cameras uh, or access control systems, 
we all going to, in fact, I don't have my, yes, I do. Uh, we all know that, you know, many of us have the HID systems, but more and more there are app-based access controls into buildings. Uh, you've got uh, all sorts of other surveillance cameras, like I guess I talked about, uh, uh, sensors for HVAC, environmental control. Those are all, as they become more and more connected to either the public internet or more commonly to a cloud somewhere. I mean, really, the cloud, whether it's AWS or Google Cloud or Azure or whatever, is becoming the replacement for the public internet in most cases. But these are all new risk vectors. These are new areas that expose you and your workplace to, to attack. Because in the old days, you had a server sitting in the basement and it talked to some system inside the building well, now that access control system you're deploying is actually communicating to the cloud, and that particular connection is a brand new area of risk. So we really break things down in this part of this discussion. I'm going to focus really on the occupier spaces and operations and infrastructure, but you know, this does include all the things I mentioned, access control, HVAC systems. It also includes more and more the, the connectivity systems we deploy so that our employees can take their computers or their notebooks or their, or their, or their, their computers or their iPads or their um, smartphones and actually connect and do work. So Wi-Fi systems, which we'll address in a little bit, is, is a big one. So these are all of the new areas and vectors of, of, uh, of risk. On top of that, as I said at the, uh, at the beginning of the presentation, there is a growing regulatory burden. I mean, it started with California, but now there are federal discussions about it uh, in terms of what are the implications state by state in, in guarding the types of information. And so there are compliance information. There, many people don't think about it. When you move into a building, you, are, uh, you as a tenant are most likely handing over information, PII, so personally identifiable information, about your employees and contractors to the building owner or operator that goes into an access control system. That, that's now, PII is data that you're on the hook for. You and your landlord are on the hook for that you need to be thinking about and how you protect it. The second one that is, has been a great opening for me when I give talks is I usually point up at the ceiling. I'm like, yeah, actually there are some up there. And I say, did you ever think about where that camera is going, right? That camera just got a, a picture of you. Here it's probably not gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna pick up the fact that I'm graying or something, but here the, the camera is, is collecting biometric information on you, and I'll talk about that in a moment. These are, these are now, as a matter we're working with a major US law firm to provide uh, detailed information and guidelines to employers, to occupiers, uh, enterprises about what responsibilities they have to protect their employees, contractors, visitors, personally identifiable information, and their biometric data. And then, just in the event there are any retailers out there, and there may not be, but I'll throw it out there, is that if you look more and more, uh, I'll go back to my prop, uh, I don't know how many people use Apple Pay or the Samsung version of that, or frankly, just stick your credit card into a payment uh, uh, terminal in a, in a grocery store, in a retail, at the Gap. And you have to think about there's a lot of personal financial information of yours, or at least some information of yours that is transmitted 
That is all covered under either PCI or PCI2 compliance, but these are other uh, areas of, of regulatory oversight that are very, very important. When you collect information from other people, you have a burden and an obligation to protect it for them. As I said at the, in my summary or at the, at the beginning, um, IoT devices, uh, Internet of Things devices, whether they are cloud-connected cameras, as I said, it used to be that surveillance system or the access control connected to a server in the basement somewhere. The owner of the building or you as the occupier would set up your own system. It would connect there locally. There was no problem. You didn't have to worry about where the data went. Now, more and more, as a matter of fact, probably 80% of all the new systems deployed, leave the, all that data leaves the building, goes to a cloud somewhere, private or public, and now all of that data is exposed, both while it is at rest, meaning where it's collected, while it is in flight, which is when it's transmitted to a far destination, and then again, where well, I don't care about it anymore, but, but I, well, I do as, a, as an owner of the data, is then where it is where it is delivered and where it lands, where it sits at rest again. And so we have to think about the risks of that IoT devices bring as well. They are much simpler to, to deploy. It's obviously much easier to have a cloud-based solution. So I'm not worried about having to reboot a, a server in the again in a, in a server room. I've now got this as a as a SaaS service, which is very attractive. But there are brand new, there are brand new attacks, and I, I don't know if I guess there are a few. You can see them up here, but there are in fact a number of incidents recently where cameras have been hijacked externally, uh, and all sorts of other devices. Elevators, actually, the ones that I know of most recently, elevator systems, elevator systems, cameras, and um, access control systems that were hacked by most likely state actors that were able to gain entry to the system were, were able to redirect the data. And therefore, if you think about it, you don't want to be the person that gets into the elevator uh, unless you have no problem with claustrophobia and you get stuck, you know, 38 floors up uh, for God knows how long. I mean, those are, those are the real risks. And of course, the more nightmare scenario that people talk about is we, we, it, is we revisit 1984 for those of you who remember when 1984 was, uh, 1984, the Orwell version is what I meant. Uh, you know, you think about there are lots of cases now where camera systems and buildings have been redirected to, to points that are not where they weren't supposed to be. So you have to think about where did those images of me, that's what I think about, where did they go? And... This really segues into this issue of biometric data. And so when you think about locking down your, I mean, the, the reason I'm going into this detail is that most, most, in particular most occupiers, don't think about this level of, of security. So again, those cameras or uh, uh, any sort of system that, that takes, uh, there's a, there are a number of these um, access control, the check-in systems, there was actually a good article about Envoy recently about data privacy. So I walk in uh, and I pull out my, my, um, my driver's license and I have my driver's license scanned. Well, where did that data go, right? Now somebody's got not only my, my name, 
Uh, I've probably my weight from a few years ago, uh, my home address, my driver's license number, my photo, at least the photo that matches what's at the DMV up in Sacramento. And, and so the big question is where, is, where is all that data going? Well, those are bona fide concerns for you. Our company actually uses a system to check people in. Uh, and we ourselves, it's Ann's job, I don't want to have responsibility for it, but, it's, but we, you know, we ourselves are extremely mindful of how we protect end user data. You as an occupier, if you use a check-in system, sign or envoy or whatever else, you have an obligation to lock down that data once you collect it and ensure that there is little or no hope that it is, uh, that it is uh, stolen from you. Because if you think about it, biometric data in many ways is even worse than your PII, right? My biometric data, my face, as I, as I have, although a few plastic surgeons have suggested they could improve it, the reality is the likelihood that it's going to be changed enough so that I'm not recognizable is, is low. So therefore, th- these are very, very persistent identifiers, part of that, of that uh, infor- the data that we collect, even when we don't know it, uh, that we're storing and have a duty uh, to protect on behalf of the other person. At the very beginning, I talked about, and this happens to be an area that, uh, as a matter of fact, one of the people on here, I'm just I'm really hoping it's not there, it can't be seen. Uh, I don't think so. Good. So uh, this is a real scan of a very well-known, the build, of a very well-known co-working operator. These are real user devices. So real user devices. These are their Android phones and PCs. You can even see this one's made by Apple. Here's a Samsung. It's probably an Android phone. It's real, real data. So if I can walk in and get this data in a minute, and I can get a bunch of other data, and then I can go, as I did for a, a, a visitor, is simulate uh, how I could create a man-in-the-middle attack, those are very serious issues. You as consumers, now this is really speaking to you as the enterprise or the owner that might be operating a space, you care about the sanctity and sovereignty of the intellectual property that your employees create and transmit and receive. And it is when, you know, everybody says, oh, I'll just use a VPN or I'll do this or I'll do that. I'm sure a lot of these people have a VPN. It doesn't help the fact that I could actually see their individual MAC addresses and can actually see the addressability. I can then create a database and whenever they appear on some other network I've penetrated, I can now begin to track them. And so one of the things that we talk about is the importance of the information, of the, of the network that your employees are accessing in their, in their workspaces. This is, this is I, I cannot, as somebody who comes from a generic internet background, but more recently a security background, more recently meaning 15 or 20 years, this is, a, this is a bona fide area of risk, and it's one that you, as occupiers, need to be aware of when you, when you move into one of the brands that's around here, or frankly, you're creating your, your own. 
So how do we address a lot of this? And this is a, I, I'm trying to keep any, too many plugs. I, uh, I've already, it was already pointed out to me that I, I did this on our template and I apologize for that. So one of the ways, that there are a number of new technologies that have come out more recently that are actually being embraced, not just by the, the vendor community, the Cisco's and, and other, the, the um, Palo Alto's and so forth, but also by the consumer community, by, by in particular large regulated companies, banks, pharmaceuticals, and so forth. And it's this notion of zero trust. And, and I think if you heard Anne's talk, she talked about it as well. This is really the state of the art in how we authenticate who actually gets access to a network, number one, and number two, how do we authorize what they get to do? Those are two different, right now, in a traditional data network, if you buy an off-the-shelf traditional network, it, it lets anybody in. I mean, there's a, a little more detail, which I'm happy to address if you have any questions, but the idea is that you want this strict whitelist admission to services, and you want to be able to change what people have access to, right? Uh, and by the way, uh, you know, we got a CEO here, and we got a you know VP of finance, and people have people have access to different types of services. You want to customize and tailor in a much more uh, facile way how that is done, as opposed to having to go in uh, and reprogram a firewall or something. And so, zero trust is really becoming the the state of the art in what is, I know it's a, it's a confusing term, which is what we in Silicon Valley are known for, uh, is confusing terms, but it really means that you trust nobody, that the idea is you have to be expressly admitted to the network and to the services in order to, uh, to consume them. And so uh, there are, as I said, there are a lot of companies that are talking about this right now. This is, the, this is how you can... If you look for the, the companies that are providing this, this is how you can combat a lot of the uh, threats that I talked about earlier. So in summary, uh, cybersecurity is clearly top of mind uh, for all companies today. We've had the Equifax, we've had uh, Target a few years ago. I don't know what, but there was another, I mean, it, it's, it's hard, yes, yeah, like, oh, oh, that little one, yeah. Well, I mean, that's only like a few hundred million people, come on, man. Uh, there are there were just a few recently that are that are more traditional corporate exposures. These are a big these are a big risk, and, and we can forget you know let's not even talk about Cambridge Analytica and and all of your like you know all of the likes that you did on Facebook. And of course, tied to that is this increasing regulatory oversight from government. Um, the fact that there's more and more machine-driven attacks. If you think about more automated attacks, we go in, when we go in as our company to a building to set up, we penetration test, see what else is there, and often we will see, uh, we will see attacks on us within, I don't know if it's minutes or hours, but that quickly on our network as we deploy, and they are, they are absolutely going after all the others that we can see around us. The notions, the old school view of patching up the network is just that. It's an old school view. You've got to take, there is going to be a significant amount of re-engineering over time. Cisco, obviously, for other reasons than, than all, some of their vendors is driving that because they want to continue their revenue, but they're right, and, and we're right, which is there has to be a complete rethink of, of the network. And, of course, 
as I said, there are new security models uh, that are really coming into the vanguard now that are going to define how you are protecting your intellectual property because, and in summary, every company today is a tech company and your intellectual property is essential to your business's value and this is why we're here to talk about how you protect it. And with that, I have something here about questions. So are there any questions? Yes, ma'am. Actually, hold on. I'll... Well, uh, is the regulation uh, helping to expedite some of these solutions, or you see it's kind of hindering progress towards really coming together with some cybersecurity solutions? Is it hel- so is regulation helping or hindering? I, I, would, actually, I would actually say that uh, what regulation is doing is focusing minds. Where it, it, I could even say that two years ago, if we were having a conversation with the same audience, the the importance applied to cybersecurity or data privacy, two big issues uh, are so essential that uh, that what regulation is doing. Because if you look, so let's talk about um, the CCPA in California. So we're in. We're in California. By the way, that applies if I bring my driver's license and check in at a building in New York and the landlord there loses my data for some, it's a $7,500 per incident fine, I believe. So how many people visit a building? You know, maybe it's 1000 a week. Maybe it's 500 a week. 1000 a week is $7.5 million. If you lose that data, if they're California-related, it's $7.5 bucks. So what, what is focusing the mind... Uh, both on owners and occupiers, is is that the regulators are now going to take serious action when there are breaches. The view being that the targets of the world, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, Yahoo, uh, they're they're no longer around, kind of. So they're easy to pick, easier to pick on. But you know, those are the how do how do people take it more seriously? And for people like me that have been in this business for 30 plus years, I will say that. The insouciance shown to cybersecurity in the past is is very quickly melting away. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.